0: Let's all stand together at this time. We're going to be looking in Ephesians chapter 3, finishing up the series I've called The Dispensation of Grace today with these last two verses in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, amen. Amen. And may God bless the reading of His Word today is my prayer. You may be seated. It is fitting that as the Apostle Paul was discussing God's work in his life and how God had blessed him, God's gracious provision in him, so that God had graciously equipped him, enabled him, given him a message to declare to people. And all of that by his grace. And of his grace. He was preaching by grace. He was preaching about grace. No wonder he called it a dispensation of grace. But as he ends up this discussion in chapter three, he ends it up with a doxology. Now, a doxology is a message of praise that is set to music. And most of them are pretty simple, but they have echoed down throughout all of our generations. One of the things that God's people are known for is. A doxology. If you know this one, sing it with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all people here below. Praise Him all of ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Doxology. Amen. For those who believe that every prayer should end with a doxology, I would not argue the point because Paul certainly did it here. He gave his message of praise to God Whether he sang it or not, I don't know. But uh, it is certainly a doxology, an expression, an anthem of praise. I want you to see it again. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's from the ESV version. I bring it up because the ESV, like almost all of the other modern translations, translates uh, the Greek word gina in this passage as it should, generation, that's what it means. Uh, So that while uh, the King James has this uh, throughout all ages, world without end, nothing wrong with that translation, but the word gina actually means generations, generations. And I think that's important for us to notice that God intends to be glorified in all generations in the church and in Christ Jesus. You see, salvation isn't just for the young, and it isn't just for the old. And that means that church isn't just for the young, and church isn't just for the old. And that's an important principle for us to remember, and it plays out in a lot of different ways. I once pastored a church. That many, many, many years ago, uh, back in the old horse and buggy days, uh, I'm serious. Not that I was there. I'm sorry I didn't make that clear. Back in the horse and buggy days, uh, the men would come to church on the wagons with the horses, and they would stand out front with the horses and the wagons, and the women and the kids would go inside and have Sunday school That's the way it was now i came along way 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 after the horse and buggy days but i still saw men grown men standing outside who had been raised all their life to think that Sunday school was just for the kids and boys growing up thinking I can't wait till I'm old enough to where I don't have to go to Sunday school anymore. I can stand out front with the men. And so against all of that, I bring up Ephesians 3.21. God wants to be glorified in the church throughout all generations. The church isn't just for the young, and neither is it just for the old. But it is for all generations. Now, if you've been around this church very long, you've heard me preach on Acts 2.17 a time or two. Because that's where Simon Peter on the day of Pentecost quoted from the book of Joel. And he said, it shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And he concluded then that passage by saying it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And among many, many other things that Simon Peter would do that day on the day of Pentecost, he very clearly established the principle that God intended for his churches to have generations of people working together. That he would use the enthusiasm of the young. And he would combine that then with the experience of the aged. And when those things come together, many people would be saved. That's what happened in the first century. It's what happened in every century since. Oh, but today, I tell you what, a lot of folks are thinking they're improving on God's plan, or they're not really thinking about it much. I can show you hundreds of churches all around. I visit a lot of them uh, that don't have any young people at all, none. None. When I go to a new church, it doesn't matter if I'm there to preach a revival or if I'm there to visit a funeral or go to a funeral or attend a funeral or preach. It doesn't matter why I'm there. I'm going to try to make a visit to the nursery. I can learn a whole lot about a church just by walking in the nursery. If it's closed up and dusty and musty, nobody's been in there for months or maybe years, tells me a whole lot. Thank God Faith Baptist is not that way. (laughs) You walk down here, (laughs) I'm not sure what you're going to smell, but it's not going to be dust and must. (laughs) I promise you that. It's a very active place down here. That's a good thing. In the same way, I go into a lot of churches, see a lot of churches where you don't see any old people at all. It's a whole lot easier for us to see that something is wrong with a church that has no young people than it is for us to see that something is wrong with the church that has no old people. But according to Acts chapter 2, both of those things are out of place. God intends for us to work together. The church is for all generations. And that's what Paul was praying. He wanted the church to be a place where God would receive glory. And really that's all, what the, all this whole thing has been about. He was talking about how that the Jew and the Gentile And that speaks to all humanity, the Jews and everybody who isn't Jewish, that they could come together in one place and they could worship God together and serve God together. And with one voice and one heart and one mind, they could exalt a Savior, Jesus Christ. That's really what all this is about. But it's not just about that. Because while it is about that, we have this one in Ephesians chapter 2, into all generations. Now, if I, if I have a prayer for Faith Baptist Church that I pray all the time, and I do, uh, one of the things I pray for a lot is that I want our church to be a place where grandkids can sit on the same pew as their grandparents and worship God together. Now, if we are that kind of church, and that's the kind of church I want us to be, then I can tell you at least three things about it. Number one, it glorifies God. It glorifies God when multiple generations of people can sit on the same pew and praise God together. That's a good thing. Number two, God blesses it. God blesses it. He honors that. And Number three, it takes the grace of God to pull it off. And that's good because this entire section of Scripture begins with the declaration, God is able. God is able. We can place that truth or that statement up against any circumstance or any situation we might ever run up against. God is able. There is never shortage of the grace of God. Uh, Not only is it amazing, it is abundant. But the text doesn't just stop there because God's grace is not just abundant, it is exceeding abundant. It is supra-abundant, superabundant. is that point of the passage then that presents to us three issues, three matters that are at work. God is able to do exceeding abundantly so that as difficult as it can be from time to time for us uh, to settle down together with people of uh, different backgrounds and even different races and nationalities, and yet come together as one church and worship God and serve God together, as difficult as it can be to stretch across the generations these days. Now let me tell you something. Ask any staff member in any church, and they'll tell you that there's feel like we're in a tug of war sometimes, and we're the rope. Uh, because uh, uh, we got uh, uh, one generation that wants it this way, and another generation that wants it this way, and and you know what? I want I want God to have His way. <laughs> and God, when He has His way, sees us working together and respecting one another, and referencing one another, so that young people realize then that old people are valuable and important, and they give them respect. And where older people realize that young people are vital and important. And they give them respect. And we submit to one another in the fear of God. I mean, these things are all over the Bible. God is able to make that happen. And He's able to do far more than we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Three things. First thing he talks about is vocalization. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask. All that we ask. Now the classic passage on prayer is found in James chapter 4 and verse 2, where James says, You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have, because you do not ask. Now, we talk a lot about prayer, and rightly so, it drips from the pages of this book. But I love the example that the Bible gives us in Acts chapter 12, around at the time when Simon Peter was put in prison after James, of all people, James, this is James and John, as in Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, and John, this is James in that trilogy. James, the apostle, was arrested and killed by Herod. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he arrested Simon Peter next. And the only reason he didn't kill him immediately was because it was a feast time. And so he waited until after the feast, intending to kill Simon Peter as well. Acts chapter 12 and verse 4 says that when he, that's Herod, had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now this was a squad of four soldiers. There were two then, two soldiers on the inside with the prisoner, two soldiers on the outside of the door They were in shifts of six hours each. So four squads of four soldiers were assigned to keep Simon Peter under 24-hour-a-day guard. You reckon Herod had heard that Simon Peter had a track record of getting out of prison? (laughs) Huh? sure he did. Acts chapter 5 and verse 17, the high priest rose up and all that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, go, stand and speak. Why did they put him in jail? Because they were preaching the gospel. When the angel turned them loose, what did he tell them to do? Go back and preach some more. That's God's response to people who don't like preaching. You ever get to feeling like you don't like preaching? You know what that means? You need more of it. (laughs) When a nation rejects the preaching of God's word, what does God do? He sends them a preacher and tells them to preach more of it every great work god ever did began with him sending forth men to preach his gospel preach his word old testament new testament that's the one common thread one of the common threads that binds us together go stand and speak the church had no political influence you see at the time they were under persecution this order had been signed by Herod the king they could not appeal that to rome that's not the way this went In fact, Luke tells us, if you want to read about it, it's in Luke 23. Luke 23 tells us that Pilate sent Jesus to Herod. Why? Because Herod was the king. Pilate was the governor. Jesus was from Galilee. That was in his particular jurisdiction. And he was hoping that Herod would be the one to pass sentence. And he did. He had him beat and sent back to Pilate. You see that's not the way things went. They didn't appeal Herod's decision to Rome. Even if they could have done such a thing that was not the way that things would have operated. So what did the church do? They prayed to God. Constant prayer was offered by the church on his behalf. I, I just love that story. Simon Peter was booked for execution the next day. What was he doing? He was sound asleep. I was asleep. When the angel came to him, he had to smite him to wake him up. Simon Peter was sleeping very soundly. <clears throat> that, that's a whole sermon in and of itself, but I'll have to save that for another day. Two, a whole squad of soldiers, two on the inside, two on the outside. doesn't matter. God walked him right out of that prison. And when Simon Peter came to himself out in the Palestinian night, what did he do? He went to church. <laughs> but God didn't open the door of the church. There's old Simon Peter knocking on the door. Little girl comes to him. Who's out there? Simon Peter, you can't, that can't be possible. We're praying for Simon Peter. Would you please? Would you? I mean, it was a whole lot harder for God to get him in the church than it was to get him out of jail. It's a great story. Great story. It's a a story of the power of prayer. You see, when we think about how that God is able to do exceeding abundantly, Paul immediately reminds us that that's according to what we ask. According to what we ask. And when we think about then the needs of our church, when we think about things that we need in our life, the big question is not, is God able? God is able. Amen. The question is, are we asking? Are we asking? And if we're not, why not? There's a reason. Vocalization. Vocalization then visualization, visualization according to all that we ask or think, vision. Again, the classic passage on vision is found in Proverbs chapter 29, where there is no vision, the people perish. And we hear a lot about vision these days. Leadership journals, both sacred and secular, abound with references to vision. I've been to whole conferences that were devoted to pastors having a vision for the church. And I was kind of surprised a lot of times to hear uh, exactly how pastors describe the vision that they had for the church. Sometimes people ask me about my vision for church. And y'all didn't ask me this morning, but I'm going to tell you anyway. uh, That in my thinking, it's not so much about my vision as it is about God's vision. It is a vision of what God can do and what God longs to do in this church. So that it's not so much important about what it is that I think we need to do as it is about what we, and I mean we, determine that God is doing in this church. And some things that God wants to do in this church is the same thing He wants to do in all of His churches. God wants His church right here in the passage. Unto Him be glory in the church. God wants us to be a place where His name is glorified. That's what He wants. Now, In order to illustrate why I'm the way I am about vision, I want to bring up an Old Testament example from 2 Chronicles chapter 16. And if I wanted just to proof text this passage and throw it out at you without any reference to its context, we'd miss the whole point, I'm afraid. Because the passage says, it's a great passage, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth To show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. The King James has that perfect. uh, Either one uh, is the same kind of idea. Whose heart is perfect or loyal to him. That's an incredible passage. God's eyes are constantly running to and fro over the whole earth. What is God looking for? He is looking for some man, some woman, some boy, some girl whose heart is right with Him so that He can do great things in their life. Oh, we get the idea sometimes that God is reluctant to bless us. We need God's blessing, but God really don't want to. That's not what 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 says. God is looking high and low everywhere, all over the earth, to find people churches that he can bless. God longs to bless us. I believe God wants to bless us more than we want to be blessed. I believe that. So what's he looking for? He's looking for people whose heart is loyal or perfect to him. Exactly what does that mean? Well, that's where the context comes in. You see, uh, this is a prophet by the name of Hananiah who is speaking in this passage. And He's talking to a king named Asa. Now Asa was a mostly good king of Judah, but he was a mortal human being, and like any human being, he is capable of making mistakes. King Asa was greatly blessed. God had won some incredible victories over his enemies, but, there, but as he got older and smarter and stronger, uh, he began to rely on his strength and his abilities and those of those around him. So there came a time when a king named Baasha, he was from the northern kingdom, uh, began to build a stronghold at the city of Ramon. for whatever reason, Asa decided that he would reach out to the king of Syria and form an alliance with him. He sent him a lot of silver and gold to buy that alliance. Does that sound familiar? Uh, Listen, that uh, didn't it, that's not going to work out very well we, we're just kind of thinking okay here's the king of Israel king of Judah God's king reaching out to a pagan king paying him off to come help him with his enemy in the city of ramah there's this isn't going to work out sure enough God raised up Hanani, and it came to him, verse 7, At that time Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubium not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen, yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. And that's where verse 9 comes on. "In for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore from now on you shall have war." And he did. So at the word of Hananiah the prophet, Asa the king repented in sackcloth and ashes, got down on his knees and begged God to forgive him. No, he didn't. He put Hananiah in jail. Teach you to prophesy to me, son. I put you in jail. Things rocked along for about 10 years, and Hananiah started having trouble with his feet. He didn't call on God. He didn't think about that prophet Hananiah that he put down in jail. Maybe get him up and said, would you inquire of the Lord for me? No, he sent to the physicians and you know what happened? He died of foot poisoning. Uh, I'm Sorry, I had to kind of giggle at that a little bit. I didn't know you could die of foot poisoning. Well, I really don't know what happened to King Asa. The Bible just tells us that something was wrong with his feet. And again, instead of consulting God, he turned to men. Instead of calling on God to help him, he called on others. You know, I personally believe, and I hope you do too, that when you get sick, the first thing you need to do is pray to God and say, God, help me to get better. Now, if you don't get better right away, I think you need to go to a doctor. They'll have some good medicine for you, and that can help you a whole lot. But yeah, I pray for myself, for my family. For other people, and I do it regularly, and I hope you do too, that God would bless us with healing. See, when I said that Asa died of foot poison, and really he died because he had a corrupt heart. That's what was wrong with him. He had a heart problem. His heart problem was that instead of relying on God and trusting in God, he relied on himself and others Instead of trusting God for what only God can do, he instead began to turn to others. To human ingenuity, power, and ability. Folks, we all struggle with this, and I do too. I'm a smart guy, got a lot of experience. It's easy for me to say to the Lord, Lord, I can handle this. We can take care of this. You see, my my vision for Faith Baptist Church is easily defined. I want God to do such a work in this church that only He can get the credit. That they'd not look to some ingenious new something that we did, and said, oh yeah, man, they put that in place, and man, look at it. I want people to come into this place and experience the presence and the power of God. And if they are blessed here, if you're blessed here, I want you to go out saying praise God from whom all blessings flow. God has blessed us. That's because Isaiah 42 and 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another for years I kept that prominently displayed in my office but to be quite honest with you it is so deeply ingrained into my mind and heart anymore that I don't have to have it posted on the wall to remind me of it because I remind myself of that every day every day that God is God and He gets the glory for everything that is done here That's my vision for Faith Baptist Church. I want God to do such a great work here that only He can get the credit. Vocalization. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can think of. That's visualization. Lastly, there's the visitation. Verse 20, it is according to the power that worketh in us. What does it mean for God to visit His people? Luke chapter 7 and verse 16 puts it this way, There came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen up among us, and that God hath visited His people. And the rumor of Him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. Now this was in the city of Nain, And as Jesus and the disciples approached that city, they found a funeral possession coming out. It was a widow woman. She had already buried her husband. And she was headed out to the cemetery to bury her only son. As far as I can tell from reading the passage, they didn't cry out to Jesus and ask him for anything. But he went up and stopped the possession and spoke to that son and said, get up. And he did. He did. What a way to stop a funeral. (laughs) Get up. AND THE PEOPLE WENT AWAY AMAZED, GLORIFYING GOD THAT'S in A GREAT PROPHET HAS RISEN UP AMONG US. GOD HAS VISITED HIS PEOPLE, AND THE NEWS OF THIS SPREAD EVERYWHERE, ALL OVER THE REGION. OF COURSE IT DID. YOU SEE, GOD HAD DONE SOMETHING ONLY HE COULD GET THE CREDIT FOR. GOD HATH VISITED HIS PEOPLE. These people then saw the truth about who Jesus was. He's Emmanuel. He is God with us. God has visited His people. And that's what we long for when we come together on Sunday morning. At least I hope it is. Yeah. That we would experience the presence and the power of God in a personal and real way. That we would see God doing the things that only God can do. You saying, Brother Rich, do you believe that we're going to be able to see people raised from the dead? Well, I have to admit to you this morning, I've asked for it a time or two. You say, really? Yeah. Yeah, I have. It was always for somebody that died way, way, way too young, in my estimation. Lord, bring him back. Never did. I've seen many more just lingering at that moment of death, knowing that there was just a step between them and eternity. God, turn this around. Have I prayed that? Yeah, I have. I'll tell you what I have seen happen. I've seen people walk into into church services lost as they could be. They did not know Jesus Christ, and because they did not know Jesus Christ, they came under the condemnation of the Word of God that tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. They were separated from God because they did not know Him. They had no relationship with God, no understanding of God. And yet I have seen them come into services like this, and in the power of God, and the power of the gospel, not the power of human persuasion, not the power uh, of just mass thinking, but the power of the mighty Spirit of God, as he used the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that though they came into this service lost, they left out saved, they came in blind, but they left out seeing, they came in dead, but they left out a alive and not just alive for a little while you see that little boy that young man at Nain that was called back to life I don't know whether it was 10 years or 40 years or 60 years but I know the time would come where that man died he got a temporary reprieve death won in the end And yet the gospel of Jesus Christ promises eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, Do I believe God is still raising the dead today? I believe God is doing greater than that. He's making people alive and they're alive forevermore. They're living out what the Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 where Paul said we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. You know, we still worship and trust that same God today. Amen? Who delivered us from so great a dead, death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that He will yet deliver us. Unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. A question for us this morning then is are we asking are we seeking God are we asking him to provide the things that we need are we thinking about visualizing what God can do do we have a vision for the things that only God can do do we really think about that and therefore because we think about this and we see so many things around us that only God can do My heart is broken this morning by the condition of our nation. But I'm going to tell you this morning that only God can fix it. What our nation needs is a revival. What else will fix it? Nothing. Nothing What else will fix it but revival. Are we asking God for that? We're available then for God to work through us Do we long for a mighty visitation of the power of God upon us. we we'll close out today by thinking, sharing with you something I've probably told you before. But I heard a preacher, an old preacher years ago said something and it has haunted me now for 40 plus years. 40 plus years it has haunted me. This is what he said. He said the Lord could remove the candlestick from most churches. Now that imagery is taken from Revelation chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 where he saw the seven uh, menorah, the, the golden candlesticks. And that, that candlestick represents the, the presence of the Spirit of God in a church. And this preacher said God could remove the candlestick from most churches and they'd never know it. He went on to explain this. Because there's so little that goes on in most churches that relies on the power of God. You see, we can talk about it. I can preach about it. But when it gets right down to it, are we really willing to launch out on a course of action knowing that unless God the Spirit of God blesses it it ain't going to work. Because there's something about our fallen human nature that we will choose more organization more administration better New kind of innovative kind of things, ways to do that. There's something about us that's drawn to that. And you know why? Remember I told you that if we're not asking, there's a reason. Would you like to know why the reason is? I think you do. But I think you already know. You see, if we're going to rely on God, then we have to be right with God. Wasn't that in the passage? Oh, the eyes of the Lord, 2 Chronicles 16, run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose heart is, is loyal to him. Here I am, Lord, trusting in you, calling on you to make this thing work, calling on you, God, to bless this, to use it, to get glory in this place, to show yourself strong in this church. And I'm going to stay the course and keep trusting in you and keep doing what you've told us to do. And if that means, God, I've got to lay some things down because they're hindering it, then, God, I want to lay them down. If it means there's some things I'm going to have to pick up because there are things that need to be borne along and you're leading me to do, God, I want to do that. I'm willing to make the changes then because I know that your incredible power works in us. If God wants to bless us more than we want to be blessed, and he does. And our prayer needs to include, Lord, make us blessable. Let's stand together.